Welcome to ADHD Crash Course, the podcast for those of us who feel we have a lot to learn about ADHD, and that includes me. My name's Danae Cannon, and I'm your host. I'm an occupational therapist, a certified coach, a mom of four, two of those amazing kiddos have ADHD, and I have ADHD. So welcome to the Crash Course. We're in this together, and let's jump in. Welcome to ADHD Crash Course. Today, we're going to take a look at CBT, which is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Now, CBT is widely used. It's widely accepted. There's a lot of evidence behind this being an effective form of therapy for managing all kinds of issues with mental health and mental wellness. Now, just about anybody can benefit from CBT because all of us have what CBT refers to as thought distortions. And that's just these inaccurate, distorted ways of viewing our world, viewing the things that happen to us that end up making a big impact on our beliefs and our feelings and the actions that follow. And CBT's approach is build awareness about these thoughts, not just awareness about the thoughts, but how they kind of ripple out in our lives. How do they impact what we believe about the world? How do they impact the choices that we make? Now, like I mentioned earlier, Anyone can benefit from this. Anybody with a human brain can benefit from this because we all get thought distortions sometimes. And so what I'm going to do right now is go through some of these distortions to start us off and talk about some of these common distortions, what they look like, see if you recognize any of them. And of course, I will try to share some examples with you because that is really the only way that any of this stuff sticks for me is thinking of real life examples. So the first one is catastrophizing. That's pretty much what it sounds like, focusing on the world worst case scenario. Not long ago, my dad was visiting. Now I love my dad. I'm going to tease him here. I'm going to make fun of him. He doesn't listen to my podcast, so it's fine. But my dad is one of those angry worriers. Like this is his his MO. He just gets anxious, worries about people, and always comes out in this kind of grumpy way that's just his way. And so he was visiting recently and he was learning about my 16, almost 17-year-old daughter's relationship. She's very much in love and kind of head over heels. And when she, you know, and she was talking about her boyfriend and all just starry-eyed. And when she left, he looked at me and he's like, you, uh, he said, aren't you concerned? And I'm like, well, you know, it's early. It's early for her to be in love, but then, you know, she's 16, whatever. And, and he said, um, nothing good can come of this. He said, there is all of the outcomes are bad. She's going to get her heart broken. Would you want to get married now? That would be a disaster. And like he literally just played out every possible scenario of being 16 years old and in love that you could think of. And all of them ended in catastrophe. And it's not that I don't understand, right? I get it. I get that worrying about the things that you can't control. And I think sometimes just imagining all of the possible disasters makes people feel like they're doing something. So anyhow, that is my example of catastrophizing something that a lot of us slip into. The second one is mind reading. Now I can tell you I'm really guilty of this because I've always had a sense of people. I've always been able to read people pretty well and have considered this a strength of mine. But the shadow side of that strength is that we don't really know what people are thinking unless they tell us what they're thinking. And even then, we don't really know if that's what they were thinking. So mind reading is a trap for some of us, definitely for some of us that consider ourselves maybe more intuitive types. Our third one is should statements. Should statements, sometimes they'll say you shouldn't should on yourself. Like those statements that are just adding pressure to the way we should behave, what we should like, what we should think. And it tickles me because it's very easy to see who 
is either working in mental health or who has done this kind of work themselves personally because they'll catch themselves saying should statements and it's like they dropped an F-bomb. They'll be like, well, I should. I mean, I mean, I would like to or I would prefer to. And so avoiding these statements is helpful for us because A, they're not very empowering and B, we're adults. We have choices on how we spend our time, on our priorities, and it's good to get in the practice of honoring your preferences and your choices. So I won't say you should do it, but that's number three. Number four is all or nothing thinking. So I feel like this happens quite a bit with people with ADHD. I think I've mentioned this in another podcast episode that that the debate about whether ADHD is a superpower or like a big drag causes people to get worked up because it's this just very, it's this dichotomy. It's either this or that. And the truth is most things in life are not this or that. Most things in life are a blend. You know, even something like ADHD, it would be disingenuous of me to say, ADHD has been the best for me all the time. It's rocked. It's just, you know, it's my favorite thing in my life. But I also can really recognize that there's things that I've enjoyed about having this kind of brain. There are opportunities. There are possibilities. There are really cool things that having my brain offers me that would not be offered to me if I didn't have this brain. And some of us struggle with cognitive flexibility. This can be an issue with ADHD. And so these extreme way of thinking often shows up a lot for us. And this extreme thinking is also, I feel very much the basis of perfectionism. Like I'm going to just do this perfectly or I'm not going to play. And you see a lot of times with ADHD, a lot of perfectionism. And it doesn't always look like perfectionism because that's not sustainable. So you see that I'm not going to play oftentimes playing out with us. Okay, the next one, is it number five? I think it is. This next one is a really good one, and it is what we call the locus of control. It's either looking at something that is out of your control and worrying about it, being preoccupied about it, planning about it, even though it's something that's so far out of your control that you really can't influence it. It's a real burn of your energy. And at the base of that is this belief that it is in your control. There is an amount of thinking or planning that's going to help you buffer from these things. And that's just not true, right? And then the flip side of that is believing that things are entirely out of your control that actually are within your control. I'll never be able to do this. I won't succeed in this. This is not possible for me. I am this kind of student. I'm this kind of an employer. I'm this kind of a parent. And just believing that you don't have control over over making some differences in your life. So I definitely see this come into play in the work that I do. There's two extremes here. There's the thinking you have no control over your life or your functioning, your improvement. And there's the belief that you have all the control and that you can change all the things. Now, we know with neuroplasticity, there's brain changes happening all the time. We know that executive functioning skills can be strengthened because they're skills. Several of them can be strengthened. We know that strategies and understanding your brain really well helps you be able to have scaffolding, build up supports for yourself so you can compensate for areas that are tough. On the flip side, there's some parts of your brain that you're just going to need to accept. For example, if you have a difficult time with emotional regulation, you're going to have more intense emotional experiences. That's not wrong. That's just your brain. 
And you're best served if you learn how to manage it. An example for me is my working memory. That's not getting any better, guys. I mean, that is what it is. If there's some amazing therapy or treatment that's working for people, let me know. But I've pretty much just accepted that I compensate for my working memory. Not expecting that to be different. That part's out of my control. Next one is fortune telling. This is not very unlike the catastrophizing that my dad was doing about my daughter and, and her relationship. Fortune telling is assuming we know how things are going to end. Once again, I see this a lot with the work that I do because a lot of the people that I work with, they weren't diagnosed earlier in their lives. They've managed ADHD all on their own. And even though they had no support and not a lot of information about their brains, they're still using that evidence to predict what's going to happen with them next, even though now they have learned about their brains. Now they're using different strategies. So that fortune telling isn't serving them. We don't know what's going to happen. And using the past to predict what's going to happen is definitely not helpful for people people have had that kind of history. The next one is disqualifying the positive and the flip side of that is magnifying the negative. Some of this is just the way our brains are wired as people. I don't remember who said it. I'll write it in the show notes, but somebody said, somebody said something about our brain is like Teflon for the good and Velcro for the bad. And if you think about it, it makes sense. If your brain, if you just think about survival and if your brain thinks that a deer is a lion, great, you live for another day. But if your brain thinks that a lion's a deer, that's a big mistake. So your brain is not so concerned about you thriving when you get down to that base level of what our brains do. Your brain's more concerned about you surviving. And so we have what is a negativity bias which can mean minimizing the positive, magnifying the negative. That gives us a good sampling of cognitive distortions. And you're probably thinking, okay, great. So now I have these definitions. What am I supposed to do with it? And honestly, like so many things, when you're managing ADHD, the first step is noticing. When you notice these thoughts, when you label these thoughts, you pull them out of the realm of the automatic, the given, and you actually think about your thinking. You actually think about your thoughts. Now, that doesn't mean you're going to be able to rewrite all of them, but just noticing and labeling and saying, oh, can I really know what my employer was thinking? Or is this thing I'm worrying about really something I can control? The awareness of what's going on with your thoughts helps you build a foundation to be able to challenge them when you're ready to do that. I'm not saying it's easy and it's definitely not automatic. We do lean towards the negative if we're not intentionally turning ourselves in a different direction. So don't feel bad about that. Don't be negative with yourself about your negative thinking, that's just not even fair. But you can make some really awesome changes if you start to look at the way you're thinking, start to notice where it's going sideways, and start to challenge your thoughts. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of ADHD Crash Course on CBT, Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. Thank you so much for joining me. I love connecting with you guys. I love hearing from you on Instagram. You can DM me, the ADHD Clarity Coach, or on my website. Feel free to send me a message. Ask me a question, the ADHD Clarity Coach.com. I would love to hear from you. Have a great week.